Hi, everybody. It's Derek, and this is your Foreign Exchange's World News Roundup for Tuesday, October 17th, 2023. There are a couple of anniversaries. On October 17th, 1437, the Battle of Tangier ended. This was a very ill-conceived siege uh, put together on the part of uh, Portuguese Prince Henry, known to anybody who's gone through the grade school uh, lesson on the, the explorers as Prince Henry the Navigator. Uh, he envisioned capturing Tangier to take control of the northern end of the north-south Trans-Saharan trade route, which uh, primarily dealt in gold and slaves. Um, the siege failed badly and ironically, uh, I guess, may have helped propel Portugal into the age of exploration as a major power uh, because it was the failure here that led the Portuguese to try and circumvent that Trans-Saharan trade by sailing south along the, the west coast of Africa to get to the source of all the gold and the slaves uh, and to, to deal directly with, for example, the kingdoms in Mali. So, uh, you know, a dumb dumb move that may have had some, some bigger implications. Uh, also on October 17th in 1973, OPEC imposed an oil embargo against countries that supported Israel in the Yom Kippur War. Uh, this includes Canada, Japan, the Netherlands, the United Kingdom, and the United States. Uh, the embargo caused a spike in oil prices and contributed to shortages that led to gasoline rationing in the targeted countries. It notably did not cause any of the targeted countries to change energy policy, something that we're living with today. And uh, on that note, let's get into the news. New research from Norway's Center for International Climate and Environmental Research says that planetary carbon dioxide emissions are on pace to increase by 1% over last year, which would make 2023 humanity's highest emitting year on record. Congratulations to everyone involved. Uh, in order to mitigate the effects of climate change, we should actually be reducing our annual emissions by somewhere in the order of 5%. So uh, actually, maybe those congratulations aren't in order after all. Uh, one big problem here, according to the International Energy Agency, is that governments are not making the kinds of investments in modernizing their electrical grids that would be necessary to support shifting away from fossil fuels toward more renewable sources. Indeed, the development of renewable energy technologies is apparently proceeding much more rapidly than the development of the infrastructure that would allow those technologies to make a difference. On to the Middle East, and of course we start in Israel-Palestine. Uh, somebody destroyed Gaza City's uh, Al-Ahli Al-Arabi Hospital on Tuesday, killing at least 300, and I think the death toll is now clearly up into the 500 or more range. Uh, 300 was the official figure, but I, I've seen uh, a number of reports here that are putting it at 500 or more. Uh, that's according to various accounts from, from Gazan officials. Uh, the facility was filled not only with patients and medical personnel, but also with people seeking shelter from the incessant Israeli bombardment of Gaza, uh, people who must have assumed, mistakenly as it turns out, uh, that a hospital would not be targeted. Uh, now, I want to be very careful here because uh, there's a lot of uh, innuendo flying around here, and we still don't know exactly what happened. Uh, but the most obvious... <laughs> scenario here, and I don't mean to be flippant, but the most obvious scenario is that the party that has been incessantly bombarding Gaza for 11 days now, the Israelis, bombarded the hospital as part of that overall campaign. Uh, I should say, though, that the Israeli military is disavowing responsibility for this incident and is claiming they're doing really overtime uh, on the news and social media 
that an errant or intercepted militant rocket destroyed the hospital. Instead, this is uh, within the realm of possibility, uh, though this scenario raises a lot of questions. For example, uh, whether an entire hospital could be leveled by a single rocket, particularly one that struck the hospital accidentally after falling out of the sky. Um, so there's a lot, a lot of questions that would need to be answered for that, that uh, scenario to make sense. Uh, it might also be worth noting that the Israeli military apparently struck this same hospital a couple of days ago, you know, just for full context uh, anyway. Um, elsewhere, uh, the Israeli military earlier in the day bombed a school killing at least six people uh, in Gaza. Uh, if schools are legitimate targets, it's not that big a leap to attacking hospitals, I guess. But, uh, you know, moving on. Uh, if uh, Then there were the uh, 70 or so people killed overnight in Israeli airstrikes on residential areas of southern Gaza, which, if you recall, is where Israeli officials have been telling residents of northern Gaza to go. The bombing in that region has been so intense, in fact, and conditions are so dire that many of those who evacuated have reportedly decided to return to their homes in northern Gaza, despite the previous evacuation warning. Uh, those of you who want to go further back may recall that Israeli officials blamed Palestinian gunmen for the murder of reporter Shireen Abu Akhla last year, a claim that turned out to be, oh, let's say, slightly mistaken. Uh, I guess what I'm saying here is that the Israeli military hasn't exactly earned the benefit of the doubt with respect to the hospital incident, uh, but I digress. Tuesday's violence takes the cumulative death toll over that 11-day Israeli bombardment, well over 3,000, with 10,000 or more believed wounded and hundreds feared dead and buried under rubble. Among Tuesday's casualties was another senior Hamas leader, Ayman Nofal, kill, killed in another Israeli bombardment of Gaza's Burage refugee camp that, according to the AP, caused dozens of casualties. Uh, all of this violence has somewhat obscured the critical issue of humanitarian relief, which had been getting a great deal of attention over the past couple of days. Unfortunately, as far as I can tell, there's nothing new to report on that front. Aid still remains stuck in Sinai as the Israeli government refuses to allow it to pass into Gaza via the Rafah checkpoint. Looming in the background here is still the anticipated Israeli ground invasion, and more to the point when, or maybe it's better to ask if at this point it's going to begin. Israeli officials have gone from giving northern Gazan residents 24 hours to evacuate south last Thursday to uh, last Thursday night to advising them to move urgently, but without a deadline to, well, nobody seems to know anymore. Uh, it seems unlikely that they'll kick things off while Joe Biden is in the region, which he's going to be uh, as of tomorrow, and that pushes things back at least a few more days. Uh, I've seen various theories to explain these continued delays, ranging from unfavorable weather to a lack of trust in Israeli ground forces to get the job done, but I think one way to interpret this is that Israeli officials just don't know what to do. Uh, world reaction has quickly shifted from near total revulsion at those milita militant attacks on October 7th to unease, at least, about the carnage in Gaza. And if it turns out that Israeli fire was responsible for this hospital strike, that's only going to heighten that unease. Maybe that, along with the shock over the security failures that enabled those initial attacks, has Israeli leaders second-guessing themselves. In other items, as I say, Biden is heading to the region on Wednesday, heading to Israel. Uh, his supporters are still insisting that his public indulgence of Israel's retaliatory attacks on Gaza is part of a strategy uh, whereby in private he and his administration are leaning on Israeli officials to restrain their response and protect civilians. There's no outward evidence that they're doing this, or if they are, that it's working. The death toll continues to rise, and there's still no humanitarian aid in the offing, to pick just two obvious examples. 
If the ground invasion never materializes, then private U.S. pressure could be part of the reason why, but that's a big if. And I think this analysis misses the fact that what the U.S. president says and does publicly matters, even if he doesn't really mean it and, you know, he's doing stuff behind the scenes. Uh, it does matter what the U.S. president does in public. Uh, and the uh, of course, the Biden Biden is trying to de-escalate and private folks need to reckon with the administration's public moves. Uh, its decision, for example, to put some 2,000 U.S. military personnel on alert for possible deployment to the Middle East in support of an Israeli ground operation. If the Biden administration doesn't support that ground operation, this is a strange way of showing it. Uh, according to the New York Times, U.S. officials have employed the Qatari government as a go-between to try to secure the release of these scores of Israeli hostages being held in Gaza. There may be some feeling that a hostage release could be one path toward de-escalation, but on the other hand, the presence of those hostages in Gaza may be one factor causing Israeli leaders to hedge on the idea of sending in the troops. So who knows how that's going to play out. Uh, according to local call, an Israeli uh, outlet, authorities are cracking down in Israel against media outlets and individuals critical of the war. Some of this has entailed professional consequences, students being suspended, people getting fired from their jobs. But increasingly, seen, things seem to be turning toward criminalizing dissent. Uh, and focusing particularly on Arab Israelis. I think people who called the October 7th attacks Israel's 9-11 may have been correct in this regard, at least. Uh, Electronic Intifada uh, has salvaged an interview that was apparently scrubbed from Israeli radio in which a survivor of one of the October 7th attacks, specifically at the Kibbutz Beeri, uh, or Beeri, uh, claims that at least some of the hostages taken there were killed by Israeli security forces, not militants, after they finally arrived on the scene and apparently began shooting at everything. Uh, I hesitate to make too much of this, except to note that the Israeli government is going to have a long and probably uncomfortable investigation ahead of it once this crisis has subsided. Uh, moving on to the rest of the region in Lebanon, Hezbollah announced on Tuesday that Israeli forces killed at least five of the group's fighters in another exchange of cross-border fire. Hezbollah members fired anti-tank missiles into Israel that wounded three people and prompted retaliatory fire from the Israelis. Israeli authorities say their forces killed four militants allegedly attempting to enter Israel from Lebanon. It's unclear whether those casualties are in addition to the five Hezbollah fighters. In Jordan, uh, Jordanian King Abdullah II was preparing, or was preparing, I guess, to host Biden on Wednesday for a summit focused on Gaza and the broader state of the Israel-Palestine conflict. That meeting has now been canceled, I believe, uh, because of the hospital attack. Egyptian President Abdel Fattah Sisi and Palestinian Authority President Mahmoud Abbas were also supposed to attend. Uh, I don't think it's an exaggeration to say that events in Gaza are damaging U.S. relationships elsewhere in the Middle East. Now, the part of Biden's trip that was supposed to demonstrate some consideration for those relationships has been canceled. And so the unambiguous impression of this trip is going to be that Biden is cheering on the destruction in Gaza, which is not a great look. This is probably also a good time to mention uh, this is just a, this is a very developing story, so I don't have much on it yet. But the news of the hospital uh, explosion, the destruction of the hospital, uh, and uh, reports that it was or may have been Israeli fire that did the deed, uh, has sparked protests across the Arab world. Uh, I think uh, there there have been protests in 
Lebanon, Jordan, uh, Turkey, so not just the Arab world, I should say, the the region more broadly. Uh, The West Bank, certainly, um, I believe I've seen indications of protests in Libya, uh, so all over the region, um, in Iran also, apparently. Uh, So this is uh, really not great. Spontaneous protests in response to this uh, this calamity, this catastrophe that happened uh, Tuesday evening, uh, and uh, apparently some large, some very large spontaneous protests. This is this is a region wide uh, thing now. Whether it turns into a region wide war or not, it is definitely a region wide phenomenon, uh, and I think could break in some unexpected places. So again, I don't have very much to say detail-wise about the protests, but uh, perhaps in in tomorrow's roundup, we'll have some more details. On to Iran. Iranian Supreme Leader Ali Khamenei lambasted Israeli actions in Gaza in a speech on Tuesday that was reported by Iranian state media. I mention this because Khamenei's comments were, at least on paper, substantially less inflammatory than some of the things his foreign minister, Hossein Amir Abdullahian, has been saying in recent days, as we mentioned in yesterday's roundup. Khamenei did say that, quote, we must react to what is happening in Gaza, end quote, but compared to the former's invocation uh, of a preemptive attack against Israel, that's positively pacifistic. Uh, Khamenei is, of course, the ultimate authority uh, on Iranian foreign policy, so his words are probably more relevant than Amir Abdullahian's. Let's move on to Asia and Indonesia. The Indonesian Constitutional Court ruled on Tuesday that the minimum age for Indonesian presidential and vice presidential candidates should not be lowered from 40 to 35, except if the candidate in question happens to have already been elected to office at a regional level, which, hey, what a coincidence this is, means that President Joko Widodo, or Jokowi as he's known, uh, his son, uh, Surakarta Mayor Gibran Rakabuming Raka, Raka, Raka uh, will be able to run in next year's presidential election, even though he's just 36. Really, what a coincidence. Uh, it seems that perennial candidate Prabowo Subianto, who is currently serving as Indonesia's defense minister, is thinking about making Gibran his running mate to try to capture some of that Jokowi magic that was too much for him to overcome in the 2014 and 2019 presidential elections. In China, the Biden administration on Tuesday tightened its export controls to block high-tech AI chips from getting to China. The new rules expand on the types of chips that cannot be shipped to China and also bars their export uh, uh, to other countries, including Iran and Russia, where there are substantial risks that they will be re-exported onto China. Uh, They also add two Chinese chip manufacturers to the existing U.S. sanctions list. Uh, The administration continues to characterize these restrictions as national security measures rather than purely economic ones. In Africa, in Niger, that country's ruling junta said on Tuesday that its military killed at least 31 what it called terrorists in a clash in the Tilaberi region that took place overnight Sunday into Monday. At least six Nigerian soldiers were also killed. In Uganda, authorities believe that Allied Democratic Forces fighters were responsible for killing two tourists and a local guide in the Queen Elizabeth National Park on Tuesday. One of the tourists was British and the other South African. Uh, The ADF, as you may know, began as a Ugandan rebel alliance in the 1990s, and while it largely shifted operations to the Eastern Democratic Republic of the Congo a few years later, it still carries out occasional attacks in its original home. 
In Europe, uh, in Russia, the Russian Duma on Tuesday voted unanimously to initiate the process of revoking ratification of the 1996 Comprehensive Nuclear Test Ban Treaty. Uh, Russian President Vladimir Putin floated this idea earlier this month, so this comes as no surprise. Uh, There's no indication that Putin is planning to conduct any nuclear tests in the near future, but he does want to put Russia on the same footing as the United States, which never ratified the treaty in the first place. In Ukraine, the Ukrainian military carried out overnight attacks against Russian airfields in Ukraine's Luhansk and Zaporizhia oblasts, using for the first time the U.S.-supplied Army tactical missile system. This is a long-range munition used in concert with the rocket launch platforms the U.S. has previously supplied to Ukraine. Uh, The Biden administration only recently relented to Ukrainian requests and began shipping the weapon after holding out for several months over concerns that they could be used to attack targets inside Russia. The Army tactical missile system has a maximum range of some 300 kilometers, but the ones the U.S. is sending to Ukraine are reportedly capped at around 100 miles or 160 kilometers. Elsewhere, amid reports that the Russian assault on Avdivka has been flagging in recent days, there are indications that Russian commanders are moving additional resources into that city. Uh, I should say the uh, airstrikes, the missile strikes with the uh, Army tactical missile system did apparently cause some damage. I don't know about casualties. In Belgium, Belgian police have shot and killed the man who allegedly gunned down two Swedish nationals in Brussels late Monday. The suspect in this case apparently declared allegiance to Islamic State in a video, just like the suspect in last Friday's knife attack in northern France. That latter attacker also apparently mentioned the war in Gaza, but these incidents taken together seem to suggest uh, that IS-inspired lone wolf violence is back on the proverbial menu in Europe. Uh, The fact that the Belgian shooter specifically targeted Swedes also suggests a connection to the multiple Quran burnings that took place in that country earlier this year. In the Americas, in Venezuela, representatives of the Venezuelan government and its political opposition met in Barbados on Tuesday to, as expected, sign a deal promising a free and fair election next year. Under this agreement, opposition politicians who have been banned from running for public office may be able to get those bans repealed, though there doesn't seem to be a mechanism for accomplishing that as yet, and the government and opposition parties seem to have conflicting interpretations on this point. The parties also agreed in principle to undertake efforts to update Venezuelan voter rolls and to ensure that all candidates have media access. There is a bigger deal in place here that will see the U.S. relax Venezuelan oil sanctions uh, in return for electoral reforms, but that will likely depend on how Tuesday's deal is implemented. Uh, In Guatemala, at least one person was killed and four more wounded late Monday during a protest in support of President-elect Bernardo Arevalo in the western Guatemalan town of Malacatan. Uh, It is unclear whether police were responsible for the shooting. Interior Minister David Barrientos, who oversees Guatemala's National Police Force, resigned in the wake of the incident, though it does not appear that he resigned because of it. In a letter submitted to President Alejandro Giamate, uh, Barrientos mentioned the complexity, quote, sorry, the, com- quote, complexity of the current situation that the country finds itself in, end quote, which seemingly refers to his own unwillingness to order police to crack down violently against protesters, even as other Guatemalan officials, chiefly Attorney General Maria Consuelo Porras, are pressuring him to do just that. Uh, Porras called earlier in the day for Giamate to fire Barrientos over this issue. In Mexico, according to the Wall Street Journal, higher-ups in Mexico's Sinaloa cartel are advising their rank-and-file to get out of the fentanyl business. I'll read you the 
opening to this piece. The Sinaloa cartel, the leading exporter of fentanyl to the U.S., is prohibiting the production and trafficking of the illegal opioid in its territory after coming under increasing pressure from U.S. law enforcement, cartel members say. The order comes from the Chapitos, the group led by the four sons of imprisoned drug lord Joaquin El Chapo Guzman, who transformed the Sinaloa cartel into a global empire managing the supply of narcotics from Mexican heroin to Colombian cocaine and fentanyl made with precursors from Asia. The directive from the most powerful faction within the criminal group aims to evade pressure from U.S. law enforcement operatives, say, though some U.S. officials are skeptical that the ban will endure. As uh, And it's, this is me again. It does remain to be seen whether this is just a PR gambit to redirect U.S. attention elsewhere or a genuine policy change. If it's the latter, uh, the cartel will presumably shift its fentanyl resources toward its other uh, trafficking operations. And finally, in the United States, Paul Pilar at Responsible Statecraft questions the Biden administration's commitment to backing Israel's war in Gaza no matter what. I'll read you a couple of paragraphs here. Uh, the administration should think carefully about how U.S. interests differ from Israeli interests and objectives. Israel violently exacting revenge in this case is not a U.S. interest, given that the foremost responsibility of a government is ensuring the safety and security of its own citizens. One of the important U.S. interests at stake concerns how some of those citizens may have become hostages in the Gaza Strip and will be greatly endangered by escalated Israeli military attacks. In addition to Americans among the hostages, Hamas seized an estimated 500 to 600 other U.S. citizens, mostly Palestinian Americans are in the Gaza Strip. They are hostages too, trapped there after the Israeli shutdown of all movement in and out of the territory and in serious danger of becoming casualties of Israeli air or ground operations. One of those Americans, a woman whose home is Salt Lake City and currently is stuck in Gaza with her family, said, quote, I feel like I've been abandoned by my country. We're American citizens and we're not being treated as American citizens, end quote. Another U.S. interest is preventing the current warfare to spread regionally. The more that the fighting involves Israelis and Gazans escalates, the greater is the danger of such spread, even though other actors in the region are not seeking a wider war. Those in the U.S. who habitually try to stir up conflict with Iran are using the current crisis to do more stirring. This is despite the fact that no evidence has emerged of any direct Iranian role in the Hamas attack, as attested to most convincingly by official Israeli spokespeople, given that the Israeli government usually is eager to implicate Iran in anything condemnable. Press reports citing sources within the U.S. government indicate that, that Iranian government officials were surprised by Hamas's action. The Biden administration nonetheless has foolishly picked this moment to draw Iran into the Gaza crisis in a way by reneging at least temporarily on its commitment under a recent prisoner swap deal that freed five imprisoned Americans to permit some frozen Iranian assets to be used for humanitarian purposes inside Iran. Accusations by opponents of the administration that this money had some connection, however indirect, with Hamas military operations are patently false, given that none of the money involved had yet been expensed. The administration's move will further damage U.S. credibility regarding a willingness to make good on commitments, thereby making it more difficult for the U.S. to reach beneficial agreements with any other government, not just Iran. Uh, on that note, that's it for us tonight. Thanks to all of you for reading and or listening to the newsletter, and especially those of you who are foreign exchanges subscribers, paid foreign exchanges subscribers above all, who make this newsletter possible. Uh, until next time, take care, and I'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye.